Hello, and welcome to What Else Do You Do? I'm your host, Masao. I'm an indie producer in Montreal working at Studio Cut to Bits. And today, our guest is Christy Pride. Please Hello. introduce yourself. Hey, I am Christy Pride. I obviously work in games, and a lot of people know me for uh, my deranged Twitter, I guess. <laughs> what do you do professionally? So professionally right now, I am freelance, so I'm working for myself. I just started uh, a podcast uh, myself. I mean, who didn't in 2020, right? <laughs> uh, I didn't, um, so I can't, I can't really. Which is great. I mean, the more content, the better. And so I left my full-time job to kind of pursue working for myself in my personal projects, actually. And I still work freelance in games, doing marketing and creative direction for mobile and indie studios. Awesome. But this podcast is called What Else Do You Do? So what else do you do? <laughs> what don't I do? I think like a lot of people the past couple of years, uh, especially, you know, post pandemic, a lot of people have kind of circled back to finding personal joys and picking up hobbies. And I think that is maybe the one gift that 2020 has given us. So something that I do that is near and dear to me that I love is I make chain mail. And that started because pre-pandemic, about a year before everything shut down, I live in New York City, I was learning to blacksmith. So I was going to forges and taking classes to learn how to make armor and weapons. And I was focusing mainly on like replicas of medieval armor and replicas of fantasy armor. Big fantasy nerd. So my goal with blacksmithing was to get in and make replica buster swords and stuff like that. And I really, really, really loved it. It was probably the first hobby of mine that I didn't hate immediately. I also draw. I'm an illustrator and I do some freelance illustration, but that is a, a uh, bittersweet relationship to say the least. So when I picked up blacksmithing, I loved it immediately. There was never one time where I felt bad. Making mistakes didn't feel bad. I didn't hate anything I made. So it was Oh my God, a hobby. That's, that's, that sounds amazing. <laughs> It, it was amazing because I've never felt that way about anything I've done. And anybody who does anything, especially on the creative end of things, like it's hard. Like you hate everything you do. You have days where you're like, why do I fucking draw? Like I hate everything I do. Everything I produce is shit. And that's like extremely normal. It's just very human. Um, so when I picked up blacksmithing and I like felt really confident doing it immediately. I picked it up and I just understood it and it felt good. The amount of serotonin it produced for me was insane. So unfortunately, when COVID hit and you know New York City took their lockdown very seriously, all the forges closed. I could not attend my classes. I could not do my blacksmithing. That hurt me in a way that is is really hard to describe because I was getting finally after a year like into the swing of it, really enjoying it. This was also a hobby I picked up after a very long-term relationship ended. So it was kind of like an emotional support hobby as well. And the guy that I was dating was not the most supportive person. So I put a lot, I benched a lot of my interests in, in favor of his attention, which is, is not the move, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so picking this hobby up felt good to have something for myself. And, um, you know, I had my own support in doing it. So when I couldn't do it anymore, it felt like a huge loss, right? 
And so I was like, well, how can I still kind of do this and learn about this outside of watching blacksmithing YouTube tutorials and binge watching Forged and Fire? (laughs) How can I supplement this hobby so I don't lose like my love for it? So I decided to pick up chainmail. Chainmail is essentially knitting, but with metal, right? So chainmail is something I could do at home. The materials were easy to source online and I could watch a shit ton of YouTube videos in bed while I knit chainmail. And I still kind of got that same satisfaction I did from blacksmithing, but I could do it at home and still create pieces that I was proud of and, and felt good. So that's essentially how I got into chainmail full time. And it just, again, it had the same effect that blacksmithing did. It felt very good. It massaged my brain in a really interesting way. It's very meticulous, very, very, very tedious and kind of difficult to pick up. There's so many different kinds of chain mail that you can make. So like even when you master one form of chain mail, you know, there's a hundred others to practice. So it feels very cool to have a hobby that you can never truly master. And yeah, so that's where I'm at with, with chain mail. And so, you know, now that the world is opening back up, kind of, you know, I will start blacksmithing again, but the chain mail is, uh, has really scratched the itch. I started, like I was telling you earlier, I listened to episode 23 with with Gabby. And I love that episode because she talked about not monetizing your hobbies, which I think is difficult for a lot of people who create. I really enjoyed what Gabby had to say about having something for yourself because that is very difficult for me. I tend to monetize everything I do because I'm stuck in this kind of mode. And I think a lot of people are similar where our place, all of our value and our productivity. And um, if we can monetize that even better, right? Um, So what Gabby had to say about not monetizing your hobby is kind of stuck with me. And so I've been thinking about that quite a bit since I listened to that episode, um, because I did eventually monetize Chainmail. I made a website, people showed interest. I had no intention of monetizing this. It was just something I was doing in my room. I had sold pieces that people would like DM me on Instagram and be like, oh, I really like that. Can I buy it from you? And I'm like, sure, name a price. I don't fucking know. Um, And it was just nice to see people showing interest in what I was doing since chainmail is kind of unconventional, right? And uh, I I mean, really, the, the interest was huge and people wanted to buy all sorts of stuff that I was making. So then I kind of felt coerced into making a store. But the way that I offset making this a fully monetized hobby was I donate most of the proceeds from whatever I sell to charities. Um, So it makes it feel less yucky that I'm monetizing it, (laughs) but it still feels, it's, it still feels weird to, to monetize everything I'm doing. So now after listening to that episode with Gabby, I'm like, well, what hobby can I have just for myself now? What else can I pick up and learn that I don't have to monetize? Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely relate. I mean, whether or not you monetize it or just create as content for consumption. I think with social media, I don't want to say clout chasing because it's not necessarily clout chasing, but like, yeah, like if you have a bigger following, then that's good, you know, like, you know, and uh, yeah, it does kind of feel like you have to like put everything out there and like, and there's also this like weird kind of influencer mentality of like, oh, well, we want you to not be just like this person who does things. We want does this one thing we want you to be the whole human and we want to consume the whole human and while that's kind of cool in a sense because you don't get this like kind of like you know stunted idea of like what people are Mm -hmm. or at least you have this illusion that you're not getting the stunted idea of some someone who is but at the same time it's like 
what's private for this person? Like what, what is not for the consumption of consumers? Right. No. And you make really good points. And it's crazy how even someone like me who can be so aware of exactly this, you know what I mean? I don't want to be an influencer. I have no interest in that. I have no interest in like internet fame. And chain mail started as something I did in private in my bedroom for months. And then like, I would just post like on my Instagram where I don't really have like a huge following on there. It's mostly for people I know and like industry people, you know, they were showing interest. And then, you know, it, it, it was so quick that something I did for myself in private turned into a website. And now I'm selling pieces to people all because because they showed interest. And I was kind of like, Ooh, you know, I felt really good about that. Um, you know, but now looking back, I was like, damn, I fucking fully fell for the monetizing your hobby thing. You know what I mean? And like, I don't know. I don't know. Positive reinforcement, right? Like it's like, it's like, Oh, well, like, you know, somebody's willing to spend real money for this. Mm -hmm. So that's like, you know, that's like, it's like a like, but more because like, you know, clicking on something is like, Oh, well, somebody liked this. Like, yeah, that's nice. But like, it's not money. Right. You know? Exactly. I know. And it's, like, it's just crazy. Cause I view myself as someone that like, you know, I'm not trying to monetize everything. I, you know, if I wanted to make a shit ton of money immediately, I would just make an OnlyFans and call it a fucking day. Right. But I mean, I work for my money. I'm not like a money centric person. If I have enough to live, I'm happy. If I have enough to like buy a friend dinner, I'm happy. You know what I mean? So like my goal with anything I do is literally never money. Like when I started my podcast, if I never see a dime from it, that's fucking fine by me, honestly. Um, So I do feel a little bit like a sucker for monetizing the chain mail. But like I said, donating most of the proceeds to charity has kind of offset that that guilt. Because when I was setting up my website, I was like, oh, I fucking hate that I'm doing this. But I also am like, people want to buy this stuff. So who am I to say no, right? So I kind of felt goofy even making a website and charging yeah. for this kind of stuff. But um Well, and uh, the problem with like kind of, you know, charging money for like artisanal stuff like this is that like if you really consider how much time it takes and how much money like like materials cost, prices become kind of prohibitive really quickly, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. So it's like Absolutely. Yeah. Hello, this is Editorial Masao. We ran into some technical issues at this point of the podcast, and this is why it's going to sound a little bit different from this point on, and we have an abrupt cut. But uh, yeah, please bear with us. Thanks. So let's talk about what kind of chainmail you make. So I started making larger chainmail projects in private. I was making, you know, like cowls and big medieval replica pieces. But again, very time consuming. I didn't know quite where to put them when I was done. Uh, (laughs) Again, I live in New York City, not a lot of room for stuff. And then selling these bigger pieces, the time it makes to create these larger armor pieces is so insane that there's like almost no price point I feel like that is worthy to sell something I put so much time and love into um how long does it take to like how long does it take to make a cowl gosh like like 30 hours yeah if you're good yeah It's, it's yeah it's 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 time consuming and then if you make anything larger than that you can some projects can take just hundreds of hours yeah you're doing like a full medieval like replica so yeah, a lot of time. And then it's like, it, it's hard to part with these pieces too, because you become so attached to them. So as some of these bigger pieces, I sold them to cosplayers that reached out to me for 
nothing close to what they were worth, but it was cool that somebody wanted to actually collect them and mm -hmm. uh, wanted to buy from me in particular and would actually use the stuff I made. <laughs> you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. yeah. that was nice. But then I kind of transitioned into making more simple pieces. I make a lot of collars, chokers, bracelets, anklets, harnesses, chains for wallets, stuff like that. So stuff that you can wear every day, which I really enjoy doing because I like the idea of incorporating like these very traditional looking chainmail armor pieces into like everyday wear. There's something very cool about how it looks on literally anybody. So I've kind of gotten really into the idea of like armoring people. <laughs> and it feels really great to create like a little piece of armor that people can wear day to day. So that's kind of where I've stayed at in regards to my creation of chainmail. I still work on bigger pieces here and there, but I'm primarily focused on just making stuff that's wearable every day for people. Are there certain types of, what do you call it, knotting or knitting weave. or like, like locking, weaving? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Are there, do you have a preferred weave? So I really like a weave called Dragon Scale, which definitely looks as sick as it sounds. <laughs> um, and then I think, honestly, my favorite to do is just the European foreign one chainmail. It's the most classic look. Um, it's the most traditional. Um, I like just, it looks the most like traditional chainmail. So I like mm -hmm. it. And it seems to be what people like the most too, because it looks the most like traditional chainmail. So I find myself doing that one a lot. And that one's like really soothing to do. That one feels the most in practice, like knitting, okay. um, where a lot of the other weaves can be a little more complicated. This one, you can just turn your brain off and you're literally knitting. Do you buy the links or do you like wind... I had a friend that did it and he would wind wire on a stick. Yeah, and cut wow. It. That's very cool of your friend. Um, I have not gotten that deep with it yet. Uh, but yeah, you can you like take your own wire and wind it or wind it to make your own jump rings, they're called. And um, that is so sick, but I have not gotten there yet. But I just buy the jump rings from a couple of different online sources and I get, mm -hmm. you know, different kinds of metals based on people's allergies and different colors, you know, different thickness, depending on the weave that I'm doing. So yeah, there's a lot of options. And and you said it's kind of like knitting. So do you use sticks or like... So you use pliers. You kind of okay. use two pairs of pliers in replacement of sticks. And okay. you just kind of bending the rings open and then closing them again. Okay. So with a lot of like this bending motion to open the rings and then close them around each other. Okay. Um, an interesting thing that I have found since doing chain mail is like, it's really good for your chest muscles. Oh yeah. I can um, imagine. And your hands will feel like shit immediately. It is like, it is <laughs> I'm like, I'm sure your grip strength is like crazy now. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It like really is. Yeah. I did not expect the physical toll that it takes on me to be as great as it was. But, um, <laughs> it almost adds to like the, the satisfaction of the hobby itself if that sounds weird. <laughs> so no, no unopened jars around you. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's so funny you say that too, because my roommate who recently moved to Portland, but she lived with me in New York city. She would bring me every jar in the house and, was, <laughs> and would be like, handle this. I was like, I got you fam. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, let's talk about how this relates to your life as a game developer. So my first question is, 
What do you get out of making chainmail that you don't out of game development? I would say largely it's um, control, perhaps, is my immediate answer. I can control my project. I have full autonomy in creating what I want to create. And, you know, you don't get that in game development so much. Um, And I just get something that allows me, I think, to turn my brain off, most importantly. With game development, I mean, your brain is going a mile a minute. You just overclock your bandwidth and your brain when doing anything in games, right? It's... uh, Working in any facet of games is like incredibly mentally exhausting, I feel like, you know, because we're thinking all the time about a 100 different things, right? Um, And with Chainmail, while it is tedious, it allows you to kind of sit down and do something that feels repetitive and soothing. So it allows me to kind of take my brain in a completely different direction. I can kind of go on into autopilot. And just, you know, next thing I know, I've created like two yards of chain mail. It's a satisfying way to be productive while I relax, if that makes any sense. <laughs> oh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people I talk to, their hobbies are very much kind of in this turn my brain off or like kind of completely, you know, reset from my mindset from video games. Yeah. Like, I think mm-hmm. this is a common thread that I've I've noticed in a lot of a lot of people I interview, regardless of what they do. Yeah. And I think something else that kind of is common within people that work in the game industry is sometimes, you know, you work all day on a project and kind of the last thing you want to do is come home and play a game, right? So this allows <laughs> or look me- at a screen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I was finding that I was getting screen fatigue really badly. Yeah. Everything I did involved looking at a screen, right? All of my hobbies involved looking at a screen. And uh, whether it's recording the podcast or playing video games or doing freelance design work or even illustration work, I use an iPad. So I'm constantly in front of a screen. This allowed me to kind of get away from that, which has been great. And I would like to pick up even more hobbies that are not screen related. Yeah, I can definitely understand. Yeah. Okay, so let's flip that question over. So how do you think making Chainmail has affected you as a game developer in terms of your process or creative output? Well, I will say that having Chainmail as a hobby has definitely made me more excited about the projects that I'm doing. And I think that has a lot to do with that screen fatigue that we talked about, that this allows me to kind of go offline. And so when it's time to go back online, so to speak, I feel more refreshed, more rejuvenated. I feel like I'm more interested in like tackling my projects, I'm more productive. And I think that has a lot to do with just doing something that activates a different part of my brain. Whereas all my other hobbies were just activating the same part of my brain that like working and game design does. So this has just allowed me to kind of take a break and truly rest on a mental level that is like really hard to explain. And I think only people that have like really like offline like not screen related hobbies, like can understand that. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like how I feel. It almost makes me feel. So I love the outdoors. I love hiking. I love nature. Anything outdoors, I'm really big into. Whenever I spend a day outdoors, I find that like the days following, I'm just like a way more productive, way more useful person across the board. Mm. So chain mail in like on a smaller scale kind of does that for me. So it just allows me to kind of activate a different part of my brain, produce a different kind of serotonin. And then when I go back to work, I feel really good about it. It kind of counteracts that burnout that you can get so easily with games. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Kind of get that, get into that mode of just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay. So my last question is, what is something you want people to know about making chainmail? Hmm. I think, you know, and, and this is something I kind of realized months into doing chainmail. It wasn't something I thought about when I initially picked up the hobby. Again, I just kind of uh, picked it up as a way to supplement what I was doing with all the blacksmithing stuff. But I have found with both the blacksmithing and uh, chainmail that I would really encourage people to pick up a hobby that is a skill that is almost a dying skill. So all these kinds of trades, things like, you know, even like ceramics and forging, these kinds of things are like, in my opinion, almost a dying art. So I think it's kind of great to pick up an unusual hobby or an unusual trade and kind of keep it alive. That's something I think a lot about with chainmail. And it's it's kind of made chainmail incredibly important to me because now I have this skill that I have taught myself and I'm going to continue to learn for years to come. Like I said, there's no end cap on chainmail. It's almost impossible to master chainmail because there's so many different kinds of weaves and it is so physically uh, demanding. And uh, yeah, it just feels really cool to kind of teach myself a trade that is kind of dying and then I can like teach other people. But it just feels good to kind of teach myself essentially a dying art, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have a like a bunch of stuff that I start. I, I'm interested in absolutely everything. And uh, it's true. Like it's really fun to get into things that mm-hmm. are kind of more old timey. Like one of the things yeah. I really love to do is uh, knife sharpening. So I have like, I don't know, six or seven stones that I uh, I use to sharpen knives. I'm Japanese, so like I grew up with that. My father, he's like a regular businessman, but he always sharpened his own knives in, in the house because that's what you do. You know, yeah. Japanese people just do that. Like it's normal. You and go you to the hardware with stones, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you yeah. go to a, like you go to a hardware store, and they have like whetstones because like that's that's oh a God. normal household thing. And I, I didn't really do that until I, I don't, I don't know. I guess I was in my twenties, mm-hmm. and then I was like, oh, I should do that because I like mm-hmm. sharp knives because I like to cook. And then got into it, and it's really a lot of fun and it's very soothing. And I yes, yes, I can imagine that's probably so soothing. And again, that is something that is kind of, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of falling by the wayside because now we have all mm-hmm. sorts of different knife sharpeners, and people can get the auto knife sharpener. Yeah. and I don't think people are sharpening their knives that way. And, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure different stones have different purposes. Yes. It's like more involved <laughs> than just sharpening your stones. And you have preferences with. because like there's certain yeah. stones that I like. Um, like personally, I like very hard synthetic stones because it's easier for me. And I tend to like, I'm a little bit sloppy. So like I, it, it can catch for the kind of the softer stones. Yeah. And yeah, like, so there's like, I've tried different ones and like, and you start with a rougher stone to kind of shape and then you use finer and finer stones for like, you know, to get a, like I have like a 8,000 grit and 10,000 grit to like, so I can have like a mirror finish. So like the blade is just like See, super clean, so and it's super satisfying cool. and fun, but like, and, and it does make a huge difference. Like, you know, those, like, you know, those little things that you can like pull your you know, knife through and then it sharpens like, and it does like that does the job, but it's not as good. Like you can definitely, you do notice the difference when you do that and then, and then do like hand, hand sharpen, or you go to like, like there's a, there's a guy, uh, I live in Montreal and there's this guy who goes around in a van and he has like a, 
essentially a belt sander that he'll like uh, sharpen your knives with. And it's cool. Like it's super fast. Yeah. But again, like he's not like taking the time, you know, <laughs> like, and there is a right. difference between like something that you can do in like a minute no, and yeah, something that no, does a like huge difference. There's like you, you're missing that element of, of, of connection to mm-hmm. your tool. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you're cooking a lot, your knives mean a lot to you. And so you want to feel connected to them and you want to make sharpening them part of your ritual. Right. And just like with blacksmithing, you know, you create a knife or a sword and you're not just going to run it through an automatic sharpener. You want to feel connected to the thing that you made that you're already connected to. You know what I mean? It's just like these things that, you know, feel antiquated now, but are like so meaningful. And in a modern day, we're just kind of forgetting about connecting to the things that we use and enjoy. And so I think that's a great example about the whetstones and, you know, sharpening your knife by hand and you sit down and it's soothing, you know, you just have your time you sharpen your knife and then you cook with it. And, you know, there's that element of connection all the way across the board. I think that's so cool. And it's, and I feel very connected to making chain mail now that I realize, you know, this is a thing that like people don't do anymore, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I feel very, you know, connected to it. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a history nerd. So I love reading about, you know, armor and the, you know, medieval times and shit, you know, I'm one of those nerds. So it's just cool to feel connected to a hobby that uh, probably won't exist one day, realistically. You think so? I mean, there's no real practical reason for people to be making chain mail now, right? So I mean, the only practical reason is like, photo shoots for um, productions, like any kind of fantasy production. And it's my dream to work on like, a large scale production on the chainmail team because when they filmed the Lord of the Rings movies, oh god, they had yeah. a whole like I'm sure, yeah, team an army, yeah, chainmail. yeah, it was so cool. So that's like my goal with making chainmail, <laughs> if anything, is to work on one of these productions. But yeah, outside of just you know recreating chainmail for productions or photo shoots or for fashion, mm-hmm. like what I'm doing, I'm just yeah. you know creating little fashionable pieces that allow people to wear a little bit of armor casually. Yeah, there's no reason for people to use chainmail in practice anymore, really, obviously. Yeah. Pe- people yeah. aren't really worried about getting I, I guess not, not even yes, I guess just specifically slice because it doesn't even <laughs> prevent you from these larger swords that just Right, will, exactly. will exactly. just break you in half anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. So it's just cool to feel connected to something that feels a little more antiquated and like I'm keeping something alive, you know, because, you know, I I plan to do this indefinitely. This isn't kind of like something I'm going to pick up and drop in a couple years. It's something I can see myself doing um, for a long time. So that feels very cool. Well, uh, I think I think we got it. So yeah, thank you very much. This was this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. This was a lot of fun. I'm gonna go Google Whetstones now and learn about that. (laughs) Well, if you ever want to talk about it, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about Whetstones. Incredibly interesting. I'm glad that you brought that up. It does seem very cool and interesting. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a whole ass thing too. Like there's natural ones, there's synthetics, and there's different companies that make different kinds of synthetics and crazy. See, it's a rabbit hole. And how many people would even know that? A lot of Japanese people, actually. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. over here, it's it's I I do occasionally see it, uh, see what sounds being sold in like kind of fine, fine knife shops. But yeah, Mm -hmm. here, like more of like a cultural thing with. Well, I mean, 
So the thing is, like, w- one of the things you really learn when you're sharpening knives is that, like, you understand the knife better. And I mean in the sense that, like, like how different types of steel work. You know, like, for example, very, very sharp knives are not very hard. Oh, okay. Because, like, um, harder the knife, the basically the harder it is to, like, sharpen it to a finer point. Right, right. And I think it has to do with chromium content. Okay, I'm... yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So, like, a lot of these, like, kind of more, like, cheaper knives are very, very hard, but they don't get very sharp. And trying to sharpen oh. them is a nightmare. Oh, I see. Yeah. And um, so, like, very sharp, expensive, like, hand-forged knives from Japan are made with, like, softer, softer steels. Yeah. And, but they're also not stainless either. Mm, Uh, So they rust. So, like, they, yeah. So, like, it all has to do with that. Like, and basically here, I think it's more common to have, like, kind of, like, like, uh, sharpening systems where they have these kind of these, like, sliding things and then, like... So you can, which in a way is better to a certain extent, because like that means that you're always going to like hit the knife at a, like the exact angle. Yeah. Whereas if you, you're holding it by your hand, like, I mean, unless you're like a super master, like you're not going to be exactly consistent every right. single uh, slide. But uh, yeah, like all, all of this kind of gets into it. And then also like you learn about like kind of, you, cause you can feel the imperfections as well, which you never really think about because you can't see them. Right. But right. like but you can feel but them, you can, right? Yeah, but you can feel them if you're like if if you're taking something that's perfectly straight and putting it on a, another straight thing, if it's not if there's any imperfections on it, like it's totally noticeable. Whereas trying to see that is almost impossible. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, like these are these are the kind of things that I think go into it and so basically the only people who really use a lot of whetstones are people who are sharpening like hand hand forged knives which they don't i don't think they make a lot in north america i mean there are blacksmiths and all but like in japan like there are like certain neighborhoods you can go to and they there's like multiple knife shops and so it's like alive and well in japan primarily okay yeah and most like most cooks like that are chefs serious chefs in japan almost all of them use hand forged knives because that's what they do in Japan. So, so, so yeah, cool. it's, I think it's a cultural thing. You know? Yeah. Just like a my, my dad, like my dad, who just like, he's just a guy and he uses hand forged knives. He uses hand, but like he uses stain, uh, he uses stainless because he's like, I, he can't be bothered with uh, like steel knives. Yeah. But. That's so funny because if you don't, if, if you use a softer blade that is not stainless, I imagine there's like a ton more care you have to put into that. Well, you can't, you, like, what happens is like you, uh, as soon as you cut it, you have to dry it immediately because like you can't let it. And it's not that complicated. It's just that, like, you know, like when you, th- it's just a kind of different approach to like kind of relating to a knife. So like yeah. when I talk to my friends and they're like, yeah, yeah. Like my, my knives don't stay sharp. And I'm like, okay, what do you, what do you do with them? I'm pr- I put them in a dishwasher and I'm like, I'm just horrified. I'm like, of course you don't. I'm like, like you're putting your knives in a dishwasher and they're like, the yeah, dishwasher? I do. I'm like, don't fucking put your knives in a dishwasher. And then I'm like, okay, so how do you store them? Like I store them in a, in a drawer. I'm like, don't store your knives in a drawer. <laughs> yeah. Because like it's gonna knock against other knives and yep. it's gonna like ruin your yep. edge. And then they're like, oh, I have this knife, uh, you know, I have this knife block. And it's like, 
your knife block stores your knife with the blade side down in yep. a wooden knife block. So every yep. time you're putting your knife into that block, you're dulling your your, yeah. your blade every single yeah. time. So of course your like edges not and they look at me like, what normal person doesn't do all of these things? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I guess, I, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah. So I have, yeah, I have a, so I have a, like a, I made a, <laughs> uh, a, like a magnetic. Um, yeah. And then you just stick it to the magnet. Yeah I, yeah. I have a, so what I did was I got a piece of wood and then, so I have a friend, like, again, this is what I was saying, how, like, I, I want to do absolutely everything. Um, so I have a friend who's a woodworker. So I went to his workshop and I was like, I want to make, I, I want to make a nice, like, like, a, what are they called? Like magnetic uh, knife strip. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's super easy. You just have to, like, uh, like, drill holes into this, like, piece of wood and, like, you just put, like, you know, uh, magnets. And, yeah, that's so I went over there and then like I planed the wood and I did like you use the little like different drill yeah. things and then like oh. you have to like because also like the wood will like kill the mag magnetism really easily so it has to be like paper thin Whoa. between the magnet and the and the okay so like shit like that like I I love all of this shit and that's <laughs> That's why I never have enough time. Oh my gosh, I know. There's like not enough hours. Like, like all the things so I want to cool. do. And I like sewing and then, you know, darning. Like I, I would probably mend denim if like I was super rich and had all the time in the world. Yeah. Because like darning denim is like super fascinating. And like, so yeah, it's just, these are the, all the dumb things that I'm always doing. No, but so cool though. And so unusual and stuff that like, you know, that would be great to like teach your kid and shit, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff is so yeah. cool. And all of that is like, as you were saying, like, it's all like super old timey shit that nobody yes. wants to do. Yeah. Like, but who who fixes to... jeans? Like, no, you throw them out and buy another pair of jeans. Like, you well, know. in this day and age, yeah, in the age of fast fashion, everyone yeah. just kind of like gets rid of their clothes and gets new clothes instead of learning how to like care for their shit and like yeah. fix stuff. Like all these like old timey like hobbies and crafts and skills are just kind of going out the window because, you know, society evolves. It's modernized. But it feels really cool to kind of preserve some of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, so I definitely can relate to your your desire to keep uh, chain mailing alive. Yeah. I know it started off as just a, a fun hobby. And then when I realized, oh shit, this is like a thing that people don't really do anymore. So now I'm going to hella fucking do it. <laughs> I'm going to learn all the weaves. I'm going to keep practicing. Like it became more important to me when I kind of sat down and was like, wow, people don't really do this outside of like, you know, big scale productions, mm -hmm. photo shoots, LARPing, you know what I mean? Like this isn't mm -hmm. a thing that people do in practicality essentially. So For sure. it just feels cool. Okay. So this time we're, we're, actually going to finish. So thank okay. you very much and uh, have a good afternoon. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Dave Wallace for providing the music. And thank you to Therese Lance for providing the logo. Bye.